subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for conversations with veterinarians, oncologists, rehab therapists, and other experts discussing amputation for dogs and cats. Find more info, helpful care tips, and a free gift at tripods.com slash radio. Thank you for tuning in to Tripod Talk Radio, where we're spreading the word that it's better to hop on three legs than limp on four. Hosted by Jim and Renee and Wyatt Ray of the Tripod Blogs community at tripods.com, Jerry's place for canine amputees and their people. That's silly, Jerry. Hello, this is Tripod Talk Radio. Today is Saturday, November 19th, 2011, and we are excited to have Sarah Wilson joining us today to answer your dog training and behavior questions. Sarah shared her expertise in the nature documentary, Why We Love Cats and Dogs, on PBS, which featured the story of our cancer journey with Jerry. She is the author of numerous books, and she maintains the MySmartPuppy.com community for trainers and dog lovers. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. I am delighted to be here with you guys. You have do such a wonderful job for the three-legged dogs out there. I can't wait to talk. Thanks for being here, Sarah. We're so excited. And we have a ton of, of questions, so we're just going to jump into things. Um, let's, uh, let's start with the, the first uh, most common question that we get when a, a new tripod member joins our community. Um, they, a lot of people believe that their dogs are, are depressed right after surgery. And, and we, we understand that dogs can react to pain medication in a way that makes them seem depressed. Um, but what if it's two weeks after surgery and the dog isn't on pain meds anymore? A, a lot of people say that their dogs are, n- are not themselves. Um, do dogs really get depressed? And if so, um, how do you know? That's a wonderful question, and people are so devastated when they see their dog's body changed. I think often what happens is we go from being smiling and happy with our dogs and looking at them and smiling at them to looking at them with concern, to looking at them and sighing, to looking at them and never smiling. And dogs understand our facial expressions and our body language, and so that can confuse the dog. Uh, and I think often that's what is happening with the dogs is they don't know why you've changed, what you've been doing so much, mm-hmm. and they start to sort of look bummed because they figure you're bummed. They're reflecting your sadness. So generally what I tell people is behave the way you want your dog to behave. So although you may not be feeling it, come downstairs, look at the dog, and go, hey, buddy, how you doing? You look great on three legs, handsome boy and see if you can't get him wagging again. Often the dogs will pick right up on that. Uh, So I think more often than not, it is the dog reflecting back to us our upset and possible depression at the uh, situation with the dog. But as we relax and adapt, the dogs relax and adapt, and pretty soon they're running around on three legs like nobody's business. That is so true. We we see that again and again. And and thank you for answering that because that is a, a subject of a lot of debate here. And 
Um, you know, a lot of times people immediately think that their dog needs some kind of antidepressants right away. So, so thank you for, for answering that one. Um, we uh, we get a, a lot of, of new members who tell us that their dogs can't do the stairs anymore um, immediately after surgery. And, and, you know, of course, we tell them, you know, the first week or so they should take take it easy and, and not do too much of that. But we've um, had a lot of members whose dogs suddenly become fearful of, of going up or down stairs or navigating any kind of slippery or, or new surface. What can we do? What kind of, of training things can we do to uh, help new tripods get their confidence back in, in situations like this? First thing I like to do is to really give the dogs a good wait which means just pause there for a second until I get there. And then I like to support the dogs, sometimes a folded towel underneath them so that you can just support them a bit as they're going up and down, uh, having a harness on them, as I know you guys have good ones for sale, so that you can support them a little bit as they're basically finding their new balance. And anytime, you know, you and I on crutches might be a little bit more frightened of stairs and a dog on three legs just has to figure out how to do the new balance of it all, and they're just afraid of falling. So if you can be their fourth leg for a bit, uh, and again, cheer them on while they're doing it, help them to go slow physically, but be happy mentally. So I will uh, help the dogs. Here we go. Good boy, buddy. Oh, you are so good. Look at you. You are a brave dog. You are great is much more important than, you know, it's okay, honey, it's okay, don't worry. Because, again, they pick up our fear and then they get more fearful. So we have to lead the way for them. We have to lead the way for them emotionally and um, spiritually, as it were, uh, that the dogs know that this is okay. This is a big change, but it's okay and they will figure it out. And we do it safely with two. They will do it safely with three. What about things like placing treats on the stairs? Would would that help at all or, or just confuse them? If you have a small set of stairs that have a nice footing on them, I'd say carpet on the stairs and carpet up above and below so the dogs can be secure, then I think letting them do that on their own is a great idea. And as the dogs um, get more and more physically adapted, to their new balance, then stairs, uh, treats on the stairs can be a great idea. Anything like that is wonderful. At first, I support them, and then I set up situations where they learn to figure it out themselves. Mm-hmm. But that also depends on the nature of the dog and the amputation. I'm not sure I always want the dogs moving with their head down or changing their balance point. So I might have treats with me and reward them with their head up, it really depends how long the stairs are, what's at the bottom, what's the nature of their uh, amputation, how athletic they are, et cetera, et cetera. I think sometimes some dogs get hesitant because they can have other orthopedic things going on and they can be a little sore or they really have to be developing new muscles to move this way. And while they're developing that new muscling, they would be sore just like we would be sore. How many of us have been on crutches and our shoulders are sore or our armpits are sore because we just had to move differently? Um, Dogs can go through that period as well. So really letting the dog be the guide and letting your gut be the guide about your dog, which would be helpful. But if your dog's a food hound and they're athletic enough, by all means, put the treats on the stairs and let them figure it out. Uh 
Wonderful device. And and going back to um, your comment a minute ago about you know acting normal, um, that reminds mm-hmm. me of a rehab vet who told us if you if you want life to be normal again, you must act as though life is normal. And one of the things a lot of our um, pet parents do when their dog is recovering is sleep on the floor with them and and put mm-hmm. a bed next to them down in the living room. And I've mm-hmm. always, you know, I've always commented as, you know, I ask, is that something you usually do? Do you normally sleep with your dog? So what's your thought about that? Because you're changing that something odd behavior. <laughs> yeah, it is. This is where the bond goes both ways. And many of us, when PJ had her knee surgeries, uh, the first couple of nights I did stay nearby because I wanted to be able to help her if she needed my help. But then I got back to normal, just like the rehab that said, very quickly. So the first couple of days when everything's new, when you're trying to figure things out, when you just can't bear to be separated from your dog, then I certainly understand. I wouldn't sleep if I had been in the other room. But try not to hover or transfer your anxiety onto the dog. You know, when you turn off the lights, see you later, bud. You know, and not be sitting there massaging him going, it's okay, honey, it's the worst thing ever. Ah, what will we do? Dog goes. I don't know. I thought I was okay. Right. Okay. So, so really, the recovery is just—it's really all about us, isn't it? (laughs) And and us being normal and and positive. Us being normal and positive will make the situation as good as possible for the dog, and then we have to be sensitive to the physical things that are changing for our dog and to support them and help them during those changes. But dogs adapt really, really well. Um, I happen to feel strongly about this because my father happens to be missing an arm, and he can do everything. So I never grew up thinking that people that were missing one thing or another meant they couldn't do things. My dad swam, he golfed, you know, whatever. And so I feel that way with my animals that, I expect them to have a normal life. Why not? And therefore, they do. So we do set the stage for that. And whatever that new normal is for your dog, that's where you start. Uh, And you also help them in every way you can. You get them to good physical therapy if you can. You get any weight, extra weight off of them. You get them good footing. You help them with, with however the rehab vet suggests. So we do things that support them in their recovery. But, yes, the new normal uh, is a combination of our attitude and the physical realities for the dog. But whatever those realities are, the dog can be happy about it and feel great about it if we tell them it's okay and it's great. That is great advice. Um, I, I have a question here from one of our moderators, Karen. And she has an adopted uh, a quad pug, a, a quad pug, four-legged uh, pug named Obi. And uh, Obi was neglected and, and left by himself when he was younger. Um, now that she has him, he has this habit that uh, she doesn't know what to do about. Obi will lick himself, lick the rug, lick the blanket, and she says sometimes mm. just the air. Um, mm-hmm. she's, she's had it checked for allergies and, and skin problems, but, but that's not the issue. Um, the vet says Obi has OCD, mm-hmm. and he doesn't always do this behavior, but he does do it when he's stressed. And mm-hmm. But then he'll do it when things are quiet and calm, like, like when uh, we're sitting on the couch, she says, or just at night. 
So mm-hmm. Karen's question is, is this behavior due to stress? And, and if so, what is, what is the best way to deal with it? Should you interrupt it? Should you uh, distract it with something or, or what? She's really not sure where to go with this. Okay, I, I'm going to take this as a twofold answer. First, sometimes this sort of air licking and object licking can actually be nausea. So she might want to try a very simple diet. She might want to just keep a log of did he have a special chewy? Did he have treats? Did she add a new supplement? Uh, is there any correlation to what he consumes and what he's, when he's licking? And also talk to the vet and see if a Pepsid or something like that might be worth trying uh, to see if that lessens it. The fact that it doesn't happen all the time makes me think it probably is less likely to be OCD because those tend to be pretty consistent behaviors, but they're self-rewarding. So if it doesn't happen some of the time, it happens other times, I would be curious about a physical trigger. Now, you want to be careful about riveting your attention on your dog when they do things like this. So you're sitting there quietly on the couch and the dog's lying next to you and you're just scratching him quietly and suddenly he starts to air lick and you look at him. That's reward number one. And then you mm-hmm. speak to him. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that, buddy? Why are you doing that? And then you try to distract him with a toy or something and you might as well have just clicked and treated him. So for dogs that are doing you know, as far as the dog's concerned, things were quiet and all of a sudden I have your full attention. <laughs> And I always ask, what happens before the good stuff happens? And in this case, mm-hmm. what happens is he starts to airlift. So you want to watch for that. And I tend to try to lessen that by doing a non-emotional negative for the dog. The dog starts to airlift, and I might say, go to bed or go to your crate or leave the room. And the dog can wait outside there until they stop licking. And the minute they stop licking, then you look, then you talk, then you give attention. So I'd be very careful about what she focuses on and when. I would take that approach. So uh, non-emotional distancing sort of correction, and then the attention and the praise and the focus comes from when he stops looking and see if you can see any link between what he's eating and this behavior and see if we can't untangle it that way. I'd love to talk to her in a couple of weeks and see where we are. I'll ask her. I'll ask her to uh, keep keep us updated on that. Um, would you give that same advice to a new tripod who is licking the area where his or her leg used to be? Let, let's say that the stitches are healed and um, everything's relatively normal again. Um, we've had a lot of people say that their dog will obsessively lick that area. Mm-hmm. Would you use that same approach? No, that one I'd probably, uh, oddly enough, uh, interrupt. I would assume that's phantom limb, uh, just like people feel it. I'm sure the dog feels it, and it makes no sense. And it prob- the limb that is gone probably hurts or is uncomfortable, and the dog's trying to soothe it, but, of course, cannot if the limb is no longer there. I know people suffer with that, uh, and it must be an extremely odd sensation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one I would non-emotionally interrupt. I might just uh, slap a wall or clap my hands without looking at the dog and then tell him, where's your toy? Go get something else. Let's get him focused on something else. I would just, I would watch for that behavior to fade 
as the amputation settles into the body. It's one thing for the stitches to heal. It's another one for the whole system to understand that this is no longer there. If that makes okay. any sense. Yeah, it does. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, we actually have Izzy in our chat room right now who asks, um, with my new golden puppy, Mulligan, he's settling settling in nicely into that pack, but um, what would be the best way to have 12-year-old terrier mix bond with Mulligan? So they have a 12-year-old terrier mix in the pack, and they've invited a new golden puppy into the home. Is there a way you can actually help those dogs bond? Yes. Hi, Izzy. Thanks for asking, and welcome, Mulligan. Uh, one of the rules I have in my house, and I've had multiple dogs for 20 years and run large packs of dogs, ever-changing groups, up to 13 or 14 dogs uh, at a time, and one of my rules is if an adult dog in the house says no, then Mulligan needs to back off. A 12-year-old terrier mix is likely to be extremely annoyed by a young golden. Goldens are the close talkers of the dog world, Labradors, Goldens. They like to be right in the face, wagging their tail, hi, I love you, hi, I love you. And the 12-year-old terrier says, back off, you're bugging me, kid, back off. At which point, Mulligan just wags his tail more and licks the terrier more and the terrier snarls more and around we go. So the minute Mulligan, uh, the minute the terrier says, stop it, then I will physically get in between and I will block Mulligan away from the terrier and teach Mulligan if one of my adult dogs says to quit, you need to quit. And then good puppy and off we go doing something else. If I allow the puppy to continue to harass, which is basically what it is, uh, the older dog who is letting himself, is telling you, knock it off, then you leave him no choice but to either move away from the puppy or to be stronger in his knock it off cues. So if you want an older, often ouchy, arthritic uh, dog to like a young puppy, teach the puppy to re- to know that no means no when the older dog does it. Having the puppy on leash, doing callaways from the older dog and rewarding the puppy for coming away from the older dog when you call him so you can easily interrupt him when he starts being too much for the older dog uh, can make things go more smoothly. Your older dog will like the puppy more when the puppy quits, when he's told to quit. Wonderful. Thank you. We actually um, have a little discussion going on in the chat room, and now um, E.T. Gale is asking, um, when Gale wakes up or is startled startled by Sam, uh, a Mm three-year-old English shepherd, she gets kind of growly and um, get a growly face and kind of fussy. And and what Gail does is she tries to diffuse the situation Um, and just wondering if that's the correct way to address this situation. Well, I'd be curious if there's been any actual fighting because uh, telling another dog to get out of their space or face with a growly face or snarly face and if the other dog backs away, that can be entirely normal canine exchange. Mm-hmm. If you've had fighting, if the other dog does not back away and then you have a fight, then we've got to take more action. But if it's just that she wakes up and tells the younger one, back off, kid, and the younger one goes, sorry, ma'am, didn't mean to, uh, then I wouldn't actually worry about it. That would be a perfectly uh, normal exchange. Uh, and careful. I don't. I'd be curious to know. And if you're listening, what do you mean um, diffuse? What 
uh, is going on. Um, she, because she's often, saying that she usually mm-hmm. gets in between them and, and maybe grabs Gail's <laughs> snout to stop her from being grabbed. Yeah, I wouldn't. If Yeah, this is what happens is that adult dogs are told that they don't have any rights to define their space, and that can actually create uh, more tension in your household. If the one who's snarly has been intruded upon, uh, then the, I block the younger one away and say, don't be rude, kid, right? So the snarling one isn't necessarily the one who's being, quote-unquote, bad. The younger one who's sitting there going, the canine version of I'm not touching her, I'm not touching her, I'm not touching her, um, may actually be the one starting the snarling. So then you need, I will look up from what I'm doing, assess the situation, tell the younger one, go away, go, you know, stop being a brat. Um, as the younger sister of two older brothers, uh, I'm fully aware aware that a younger being can uh, create uh, conflict where there wouldn't necessarily have been any. So Thanks. you really need to read the situation. Thanks. Great advice. And she is saying that Sam usually does back away. We actually have a caller on the line, and I'm going to uh, welcome to the welcome to Tripod Talk Radio. Do you have a question? I do. Yeah. Hi, Sarah. It's Sharon. And I have Hi, a question Sharon. about – Hi, Hello. I have a question about my 10-year-old three-legged dog, Kip. Mm-hmm. And um, I am finding that as he ages, he is very aware of the fact that he is tippy when he meets Mm -hmm. other creatures. And I have some struggles with introducing him to new dogs. Even when the other dogs are being appropriate, he takes offense. And I'd love some pointers because we have a lot of dogs in our family and they're nice and he just is grouchy. (laughs) Um, And does he actually... Does he actually bite, or is he doing a lot of sound and fury, lots of snarling a and barking? A lot of sound and, and fury, yeah. He's he's yeah. actually quite a soft dog, so he just makes a lot of noise. But he, um, he, yeah, he definitely charges him. <laughs> okay. Then I would have them uh, on leash, and I would really, in many situations, I would simply put Kip someplace where he doesn't have to deal. Because as yeah. the three-legged dogs get older, they are prone to having more arthritis, especially in the compensating limb, and they get more and more protective of their space. Just like we, if we have a sore knee and all of a sudden a bunch of you know, 15-year-old kids are running around us playing shelf football and, uh, you know, playing roughly, we're going to be like, back off, back off, don't touch me, back off, because we don't want to get bumped by them. And that's what can happen with our three-lakers as they age. They get more and more uh, strong offenses, a good defense approach to life, and get very snarly and snappy about it. So I would move him away, put him behind a gate often, and let him interact. My guess is that he will interact through a gate very happily, but then be snarly if a younger dog is off leash and approaching him um, very roughly. Even if they're happy, if they come in fast, he's going to have a big reaction. And often those reactions are quick, uh, run forward a few steps, growl, snarling, you know, kind of thing. And then they'll turn and go away. They just want the other dog to stay out of their space. So keeping him someplace, seeing if he wants to stay in his crate, putting him behind a gate, 
keeping him on leash, rewarding him for calm behavior, and blocking other dogs as they come too close are all ways that you can relieve that pressure from him. With my dog, I use blocking other dogs. (laughs) Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, And I use that blocking a great deal and then reward the dog for being calm, and that can often help. Thank you. Good advice and, and great question, Sharon. Thanks. We're going to open up the line for other callers now, so we appreciate your call, and I'll let Renee get on with other questions. Oh, I just want to thank Sharon for calling because I was actually going to ask you uh, her question next, Sarah, so that, that's a funny coincidence. Um, oh, Sharon's, I, I yeah, know, Sharon's great. She's... Yeah, yeah, I know exactly who she is. Um, we, uh, we have another member, uh, Katie did, and Katie has a question. She says, uh, her dog loves people but hates other dogs. And Mm -hmm. she enjoys going out in public, but when there's another dog around, her hackles go up and she starts barking and growling. Mm -hmm. Any suggestions? Absolutely, lots of suggestions. What that is telling me is that her dog feels like it is her job to keep other dogs away. And what I wanted to do is to become your job as a dog's handler. I want my dog to look to me to handle a situation. And I have lots of games that are in my smart puppy that teach the dog that when they're distracted, they should look at you automatically. I love things like leave it, but the problem with leave it or even attention look at me exercises is they depend on you to see the distraction coming and then to verbally cue the dog the behavior you want. What I want the dogs to do through some very simple games and exercises is that when they become distracted or stressed, they look at you automatically. And that gives you the opportunity to uh, reward the dog and also handle the situation. My dog, Tip, was very under-socialized. And if I'm out walking with her, she's nervous about something, I'll feel her nose on my fingers and I'll look down. She'll be looking right up at me going, excuse me, do you see that over there? And I'm like, oh, okay, now I do. Thank you. I've got it. Uh, and otherwise, she would be lunging if she hadn't been trained this way. But as it is, she just lets me know I'm anxious about this, and then I handle it. One of the ways I calm dogs down who are concerned is that I do keep other dogs away from them. I don't let them come into their space. And I read my dog carefully to see if they are, A, in the mood to greet another dog, and D, interested specifically in greeting this dog. And often they will be fine with calmer, older dogs, but will be very happily and defensive around younger, quote-unquote, friendly dogs. Mm-hmm. And those dogs are friendly, but that's a little bit like baby Huey running at you. <laughs> it's hard, <laughs> like, I don't care. I don't care if that dog is friendly or not. It's coming in too fast and too active and it's scaring me. Um, this is particularly true for the herding breed. The herding oh, yeah. breed tends, yeah. A herding breed is selected to have a sense of personal space that can extend for 100 feet if you're a border collie, right? And the retrievers, their sense of personal space is about two inches. So a retriever can come in deep into a herding dog's personal space, and the herding dog can hate them before they even get there, and the sporting breed has no idea what the upset's about. So you as a handler need to get in between and block that other dog off so that your dog understands that you will protect them. You will protect them. And once they understand that, then you, they will count on you more and more. 
But if you allow the other dogs to get at them and then they have to deal with it, then they start to get more and more defensive earlier and earlier because they are not being successful. So And they're frightened and they're worried about being bumped or knocked over. Now, they don't always understand why they are now getting bumped and knocked over like they never were before. They just know that they feel much more vulnerable and much less confident. And also, other dogs can read the hopping motion as an abnormality that they're not used to and can come in more stiffly and more defensively uh, because of that motion. And so your dog is getting signals from the other dog that something's wrong and they don't necessarily know why all of a sudden everyone's looking at them as if they're behaving oddly. So lots of things can be changing for your dog. Uh, but the bottom line, the one thing you can control is your relationship with your dog. So you start to reward their attention, you start to do games that create attention when there's distractions around, and you start to be responsible for protecting your dog's personal space, and then you can see a lot of dogs start to go, okay, good, boy, that's Mm -hmm. a a load off of my mind. I can't can't thank you enough, Sarah, and I just want to encourage everybody to go out there and buy Sarah's books because she has made a world of difference with our tripod spokes dog, Wyatt Ray. Um, he has gone from from night to day, and it has been wonderful. And Jim's telling me to wrap it up because we're running out of time. Thank you so much, Sarah. We do invite it's you with a visit. It's great. You guys are wonderful. MySmartPuppy.com, and we'll be posting this podcast in the downloads blog at Tripod. Thanks for listening. Until next time on Tripod Talk Radio, learn more about canine amputation recovery and find the best gear for three-legged dogs at tripods.com. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe to Tripod Talk Radio for more pet amputation tips from experts. And claim your free gift just for listeners at downloads.tripods.com slash podcast. Tripod.